Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 8. As we continue in Daniel, God's sovereign rule over human history, and we see that his sovereign rule was not just in the days of Daniel. It extends through the present and all the way to the future, even during the tribulation in the coming of the Antichrist. God still rules and reigns our unchangeable God. As we begin this morning, I'm just going to ask that we read one verse, number 25 of Daniel chapter 8, and the message I've entitled Antiochus, the Antichrist, and Jesus Christ. Daniel chapter 8, verse 25, and read it please with me. And through his policy also... He shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. Let's pray. Now, Lord, we pray, God, you'll help us to put aside the things of this life and even put Away now, the distractions we've had during this service. And now, Lord, help us to focus on these beautiful, powerful, unique verses from your mighty heart and hand to us. Thank you, Lord, for your word that tells us not just how to live now, but what will come next. So help us to be prepared to live now, knowing what is happening, and what is coming. And so, Father, challenge us and speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine if you saw a mighty angel. Daniel sees Gabriel. The first time a holy angel is mentioned by name in the Bible is right here in Daniel chapter 8. And it is the angel that announced Jesus Christ to Mary. But here, this angel Gabriel announces the Antichrist to Daniel. Daniel was shocked so much that he went into a deep sleep. And at the end of this story, it says he even fainted and he was sick certain days. So what was going to happen really moved Daniel. And he was obviously struck that what he experienced was actually going to happen. So we can be sure it's going to happen. Now, in this passage of scripture, as we read these verses, and we see Gabriel mentioned in verse 16, do you see that? If you could follow along with me. Daniel was afraid of Gabriel. You know, poor angels. Every time somebody sees them, they get afraid, you know. I hope people aren't afraid when they see me, right? (laughs) Not like an angel. But Gabriel is telling Daniel about what time in verse 17. What does it say in verse 17? What time is he telling Daniel about? The time of the end. And verse 19, he says, this shall be not just in the end, but what? The The last end. And he says, this is the time 
appointed at the end. So three times already there, he says the end. And then in verse 23, by the way, he, if I skip ahead with you there, what does he call the time that he's revealing to Daniel? The latter time. So four times he says, this is the time of the end, the end, the latter time. And then he tells Daniel about these two kingdoms that are going to be coming. And we've been talking about this. He tells him about the ram with two horns in verse number 20. And those, that animal represents what kingdom? What does it say in verse 20? It's not a trick question. That's what? Medo-Persia. So, but then he just mentions it and he moves on. And then in verse number 21, he tells us about this goat with one major horn. And that's the kingdom of what? That's Greece. But he just tells us that and then he moves on and even says, oh, yeah, there was one really the first king who was quite important. Everybody knows about him and studies about him in actually history books. And his name was Alexander. But he just mentions it and moves on because Daniel in his vision is really getting to this next person who is going to come out of the kingdom of Greece because after the kingdom of the king of Greece, Alexander, dies. His kingdom is divided into how many parts? What does it say? Four parts. Four kingdoms. Verse 22 will stand up. And then out of those four will come forth a king. So out of those four kingdoms will come a, 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 one king out of the four. And it's like Daniel skips over everything to get to this king. So here's, here's my point. And here's my question. And it's under my face. There we go. Okay. Of all the kings that came out of Greece, and as well, he could have he could have told of the kings of Babylon, the kings of Rome, but he focuses on this chapter, the kings of Medo Persia and Greece. But of all the kings that came out of all these places and out of Greece, why does God single out this one king that came out of the Greek Empire, who is called in verse? If you go back in your in the chapter earlier, he's called the little horn. And that's in verse nine, Daniel, chapter eight, verse nine, where he says that out of one of them, out of one of these four parts of the, of the kingdom will come forth a little horn, which will wax exceeding great. And then he tells us more about that little horn in that section. So my my question is this. How come this chapter is so taken up with this little horn? With this king that comes out of the Greek Empire. Because if it wasn't even for this, he he wouldn't even be in a history book. We would people know about Alexander. He's in the history book. But this little horn isn't. Why is he so prominent? And the answer is, is because this king that he's talking about, who came in history past, future to Daniel, but past to us is Antiochus Epiphanes. And of any king who has lived and, and ruled on earth, he was a type, the perfect type of the Antichrist that is coming. And that's why Daniel spent so much time on this king in this chapter. Antiochus Epiphanes, he only ruled for about nine years, but he was the type and he foreshadows the coming rule of the Antichrist. Now, you might say, well, how do you know 
that this Antiochus Epiphanes that comes out of the Greek Empire, how do you know, why do you say he's a type of the Antichrist? Why would I say that? Okay, so there's three reasons I give you that's in your notes today, and they are this. Because both, number one, both Antiochus and the Antichrist are each called what? They're each called, it's not a trick question, it's actually up there. I'm just trying to get you to, they're each called the little horn. And there are amazing parallels between the little horn revealed in Daniel 7 and the little horn revealed in Daniel 8. So now, put your eyes on it. I want you to see this for yourself. Look in Daniel chapter 8, verse 9. Out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great. So now, this little horn, if you follow with me on the picture here, this is a cool picture. It's not meant to confuse you, but there's a lot going on in this picture, I realize. Let me just back up on this picture for a moment. You see this picture up here? Do you remember this? This first, Daniel chapter 2. Who had the dream in Daniel chapter 2? Nebuchadnezzar. And he had a dream of this image. And that image represented these four kingdoms. The head of gold was Babylon. The chest and arms of silver was Medo-Persia. The, the belly and thighs of brass was Greece. The legs of iron and feet, part iron, part clay, was Rome. And then in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel had a vision of these four animals representing the same exact four kingdoms. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. But in Daniel chapter 8, he only references two of these kingdoms, Medo-Persia and Greece. And he focuses in Daniel chapter 8 on this little horn, Antiochus. And he's called a little horn, and he comes out of the Greek empire, Antiochus. And look at all the verses that relate to him in this chapter. Again, more relate to Antiochus than all the other kingdoms combined that he talks about. Now go back to Daniel chapter 7. Go back to Daniel chapter 7 and verse 7. And here he's talking about the fourth kingdom, this dreadful beast of Rome in verse 7. He said, a dreadful beast, the fourth beast, strong devoured, breaking pieces, stamped. It was different or diverse from all the beasts that were before it. It had ten horns. Verse 8, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn. So there's the same expression, little horn, before whom three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. So there were ten kings, but the Antichrist comes up, becomes great, defeats three of those kings, and, and then sets up a revived Roman Empire, and this little horn is the Antichrist. And basically, the the chapter, this chapter of 7, Daniel is most interested in this fourth beast of Rome. And why is he interested in Rome? Because he's interested in this little horn that grows up, who is the Antichrist. So in chapter 7, Daniel is most interested in who? The Antichrist, who comes out of where? Rome, that's the Antichrist. But in, in chapter 8, he's talking about Antiochus, who comes out of Greece. So he's not the Antichrist, but he's a type of the Antichrist. And what I'm saying is, both chapters are really focused. The main interest of Daniel is on this little horn. Because in Daniel 7, he's the Antichrist. In Daniel 8, he's the Antiochus, who is a type of the Antichrist. Did I lose you? Okay, good. Okay, good. <laughs> okay. 
So there you go. And that's why I believe that Antiochus is a type of Antichrist. They're both called little horns. The second is, is the emphasis, and I've, I've, made, I've made this emphasis in already, is the emphasis how Daniel is focusing on the end times and how these expressions give weight to both a near and then a distant fulfillment. And I did reference this last week, but it bears repeating that oftentimes in Scripture there's a double fulfillment, a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. And it shows the power of God's word that he knows what's going to happen both near and far. So about 350 years after Daniel, Antiochus was going to come. But then he was seeing beyond Antiochus to the Antichrist who still hasn't come. Daniel saw this in a vision. So it's the end times that are in view, which leads us to say he's talking about somebody beyond Antiochus. He's talking about the Antichrist. And then a third reason is that some of these statements that we're going we're gonna to kind of sink our teeth in, most into verses 23 through 25. And many of these statements, in a number of the good Bible commentaries that I have, they say that these statements more fully characterize the Antichrist than even Antiochus. Now, Antiochus, they're talking about Antiochus, but the Antichrist is really the ultimate fulfillment of them. For example, Dr. John Whitcomb, who is a great man of God, he said the expression... If you look in verse 25, you see the expression where it says, he shall also stand up against the prince of princes, that this Antichrist will stand up against the, against the Lord. So Whitcomb says this expression seems most descriptive of the Antichrist even more than Antiochus. Leon Wood says about verse 24, he said the descriptive items set forth in verse 24 and verse 25 were all true of Antiochus in a limited way, but will be more true of the Antichrist in a fuller sense. And I agree with that. So that's why the message today is Antiochus, the Antichrist, and Jesus Christ. Now, Antiochus has come and gone, but the Antichrist is still to come. And this is why it's important for us, because we need to realize the spirit that's out in the world. And who is the world preparing to receive the Antichrist? So we need to understand the mystery of iniquity that is spreading. The Antichrist, the Bible says, is a vile person, a bloody and deceitful man, the son of perdition, a lawless one. And if you go, please, to 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, and if you could turn there with me. And even those on Zoom, if you could follow along and turn to the scriptures, it would definitely make your experience a whole lot more interesting. But in 1 John chapter 2 and verses 18 and 19, John says, 1 John 2, 18, little children, it is the last time. Ah, there you go. There's that same expression. We're in the end of times. Now, we've been in the last time since the days of John. So it's like we're running along the cliff of the end times, of the last time. He says, and as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. That's the Antichrist that we're talking about. Even now are there many Antichrists. 
whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us. They were not of us. If they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. What is he saying there? He's saying that in the days of John, what were there many of? Thank you, Christ. There were many anti-Christ. Where were some of these antichrists based on verse 19? Where were some of them? They were already had come into the church. These antichrists are seek to come into the church to turn us away from our faith in Jesus Christ, abandon our faith in who Jesus Christ is. Because who is an antichrist? Verse 22. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is Messiah? That's a liar. That's an antichrist. He is an antichrist that denieth the Father, and the Son. And if you skip up real quick, go to 1 John chapter 4, and here he calls these antichrists false prophets. They're also called by John deceivers. But here in 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, he says, every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This is that spirit of antichrist where ye have heard that it should come. And even now already is it in the world but we have overcome them he says and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world so the spirit of antichrist is here in the world today antichrist anti i mean this person this is a spirit of those who are against jesus christ and who he truly is the son of god and the messiah and the savior the only savior of the world he's against christ but but anti could mean as well instead of. In other words, embrace other truths, embrace other doctrines, embrace other salvations other than Jesus Christ instead of Jesus Christ. That is Antichrist. So as we live in these last days, we have to understand the spirit of iniquity, the spirit of Antichrist that is in our world today. It's it seeks to influence you individually, and it seeks to even turn our church away from who Jesus Christ is. So we must not get swept up in the sinister ways of the Antichrist spirit, but in the true ways of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So we want to see who Jesus Christ is in comparison to Antiochus and the Antichrist. So that's the message. The message is, Let's look at the sinister ways of the Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist that is in the world, and then see the true spirit of Jesus Christ. And let's follow Jesus. Amen. Let's be swept up by his love. Let's be filled by his spirit as we're in a world where the spirit of Antichrist is reigning. Now, go back to Daniel chapter 8, and let's look at verse 23. And we're going to see six things quickly here about the spirit of Antichrist. Number one, we see the dark wisdom of Antiochus and the Antichrist. Their dark wisdom. Verse 23. He says, in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. So who is this talking about? The near fulfillment is Antiochus. The far fulfillment is the Antichrist. And it says in the latter time. When the transgressors are come to the full. What does that mean? That means when the spirit of Antichrist has fully entwined and entrenched itself. 
The transgressors are come to the full. That is, there's a complete abandonment of faith. There's an apostasy. The church has turned away from the truth of Jesus Christ. Many have embraced the lies of the Antichrist spirit. And it's at that time when the culture is full of the spirit of Antichrist, guess who's going to rise to power? Who will they receive? They'll receive the Antichrist. Now, good news is I believe we're going to be raptured. The church will be raptured out of here. And right now, as a church, I believe we're actually withholding the, act, the, the, the fullness of this apostasy. But once the church is raptured, the apostasy will just, will just sweep and the Antichrist will come to power. So he will have a dark wisdom. It says here he'll understand dark sentences. In Daniel chapter 7, talking about the Antichrist, it says there that he had a mouth speaking very great things. And notice this word in Daniel 7.20. And I have it on the screen. He says, whose look was more stout (laughs) than his fellows. Now, I don't know about you, but like when I study the Bible and I see the word like his look was more stout. Now, do you love the word of God? Yes, you do. I know you do. That's why you're here. So I love the word of God. And part of the way I I show forth my love for the word of God is I want to know what those words mean. Because that word just interested me. Do you know what it means? Just on its surface, it's kind of hard to know. But the word is translated great in other places. So his look was great. In other words, he was impressive. He was a person of incredible charisma that would attract people to say, this is the greatest king. Now, we know the pressure of political power. We're feeling that even in our own country right now. When everybody thinks one person is really bad and somebody is really good, the pressure is you get with the program. (laughs) It's going to be that powerful when Antichrist comes. I think we can feel a little bit of how that may be. It says he spoke great things, and Revelation 13 says those great things were great things of blasphemy against God. So he was an anti-Christ. But it does say he's able to understand dark, look at that phrase there, dark sentences. Do you know that very same expression is in the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, verse 6, to describe the seeking of godly wisdom. In Proverbs 1, 6, it says to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. In other words, sayings, do you understand all the Proverbs when you read them? It's like, oh, I know that. Some Proverbs you're like, huh? What does that mean, right? It's a riddle. The idea there is the Holy Spirit gives us understanding to understand the, the Proverbs. We need to actually seek God for, for true wisdom. But this is a dark wisdom. Understanding these sentences, these dark problems, and these things that it says here in Daniel chapter 8 is not godly wisdom he's seeking, but a dark wisdom, a blasphemous wisdom. Do you know if you read in James chapter 3, you don't have the time to turn there, but it talks about two kinds of wisdom. The wisdom that is from God, that comes from heaven, that is first the wisdom from God. James chapter 3, I know some of you know it. What is the wisdom from God first? It is first what? Pure. That's right. Good job, Hattie. Our scripture memory queen. The wisdom that is from above is first pure. That's the, what the world doesn't want. <laughs> Purity. And peaceable and gentle and easy to be entreated and full of mercy and 
good fruits without partiality and so forth. But that passage also talks about a, a wisdom that is from the world, a worldly wisdom. He actually says it's a devilish wisdom. It is earthly, sensual, and devilish, a devilish wisdom that is in this world. And it says in, he, in James chapter 3, verse 14, there is a wisdom of this world that is full of bitter envying and strife and self-glory, and lies against the truth. That's the dark wisdom of the Antichrist spirit. It's a wisdom of this world. The world is attracted to this dark wisdom. But as people of God, we're attracted to whose wisdom? The wisdom of God and the perfect godly wisdom of Jesus Christ, who is wisdom. Wisdom cries to us from Scripture. And Jesus is wisdom. And it says in the book of Colossians, even in chapter two, that he that in Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom, all the treasures of wisdom are hid in Christ. So as as believers in Christ, we turn away from the spirit of the dark wisdom of the Antichrist. We want to embrace the true wisdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love it when it says in Mark chapter six, verse two, what is that wisdom? They said which is given to him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands. The wisdom of Jesus came forth in his works. The second thing we see about this Antichrist is not only his dark wisdom, but we see, secondly, his demonic works. In Daniel chapter 8, look at verse 24. It says, his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power so the antichrist has a mighty power but it's not his own so whose is it it's the power of satan and so this is talking about antiochus a type of the antichrist look at these two other verses clearly speaking of the antichrist second thessalonians 2 it says even him who's coming is after the working of satan with all what power and signs and lying wonders, the key word power. Revelation chapter 13, verse 2. Who gave the Antichrist this power? It says the dragon gave him this power. The power comes from Satan. So the Antichrist is satanically empowered. Demonic works. The world, think of this. The spirit of Antichrist in this world is attracted to demonic power that looks outwardly impressive. That's the world we're living in. There are many Antichrists in this world. And we're heading to the day when this Antichrist will stand up. Thank God for Jesus Christ. And pray that my internet connection remains strong. Did you see that? It just said internet connection is unstable. I don't know. Am I stable? I'm stable. Even if my internet connection isn't, I'm on the rock of Jesus. Amen? Okay, so think of the great power of Jesus Christ. And I love this verse, Acts chapter 10. Can you read it with me this, this afternoon? It says, Acts 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. This is talking really about how Jesus served as the God-man on earth. And I thought we can actually enter into quite a bit of those beautiful promises that even Jesus had. In other words, we have an anointing. 
You shall receive power and the Holy Ghost will come upon you and you shall be witnesses. So we can go about doing good. We can encourage people. And yes, we can by witnessing to people, giving them the gospel. You know, we could deliver them from being oppressed by the devil. I was oppressed by the devil before I was saved. When Jesus came in, the devil went out. Praise God. So the spirit of Antichrist is a spirit of demonic powers. The third thing we see, the spirit of Antichrist is a spirit of destructive practices. Look back in Daniel chapter 4. It says, now notice the word destroy in verse 24, also verse 25. It says, he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice and shall destroy. Who does he want to destroy? The mighty and who? The holy people. That's who Antiochus destroyed, the people of God. We talked about that last week in the battle we're fighting. The battle we're fighting is for the house of God, the people of God, the word of God. And that's what the devil and that's what Antiochus wanted to cast down, tear down, destroy. And verse 25 also says, and by peace he shall destroy many. So three times this word destroy. You know the first time we find this word destroy in the Bible? You know where it's in, the ref- in context and reference to? The world in the days of Noah, and the word is translated corrupt, that the world had become corrupt. So Antiochus and, and uh, the Antichrist, through the works of Satan, yes, they're, they're glad to kill people, but they're also glad to corrupt people morally and spiritually. So the work of the Antichrist and his, these destructive pra- practices are to destroy and corrupt the people of God. And this is the work of Antichrist in Daniel chapter 7. He made war with the saints and prevailed. He wore out the saints. In Revelation 13, they marveled at this Antichrist. Who was like him? Who was able to make war? Because he, he had power and he practiced. And it even says, it says that he prospered. When the Antichrist comes, he, he will... He will have seeming success for a while. That's why we need Jesus so much. To overcome this wicked spirit of the Antichrist. So the Antichrist is destructive. He wants to corrupt. He wants to turn people into moral filth and spiritual destruction. He wants to destroy you. That's the spirit of Antichrist that's in our world today. We have to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And thank God for Jesus. He came for the very opposite. Jesus comes to save, to build up, to show mercy. Gracious healing of Jesus. Can we read this verse together? In Luke chapter 4, it says, The Spirit of the Lord, read it with me out loud, please. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and set at liberty them that are bruised. So break that down with me. He says he came to preach the gospel to the the bankrupt, the poor. To heal the who? The brokenhearted. The broken. And to preach deliverance to who? The captives who are bound. 
and recovering of sight to the blind. And to set at liberty to free the ones who are bruised. Those who are bankrupt and broken and bound and blind and bruised. Jesus came to deliver. That's his gracious healing and mighty power. And we do pray that sinners will be forgiven through Jesus Christ even today. If you're here and you're not saved, come to Christ. He'll forgive you of your sins. Maybe you've been a prodigal son and you've been running from God. Come back to the Lord and he will restore you and forgive you. He will set you at liberty. He will set you free. Maybe you're brokenhearted. He will heal the broken heart. His gracious healing. The spirit of Jesus is the opposite of the spirit of the Antichrist. Going back to Daniel. Antiochus, the Antichrist, and Jesus Christ. Let us reject the spirit of the Antichrist and receive the spirit of the true Christ. This is our hope. His deceitful policies, verse 25. Look what it says here. It says, through his policy also, he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. He shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace he shall destroy many. So, notice the picture I have there? That's the, remember the the riders on the four horses in the first four seals of Revelation chapter 6? The first horse was a rider on a white horse, and I have that verse a white horse, he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And I believe with all my heart that is the Antichrist, that he comes forth promising peace, but he's a deceiver. It's a deceitful peace. It's a, it's a fraudulent peace. It's a fake peace. It says, by peace he shall destroy many. And so the Antichrist, that's why he's the rider on the, the white horse, but then the next horse is I believe it's the red horse of war and bloodshed and the, and the black horse of, of famine and then the, 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 the pale horse of death. His policies lead to all that. And many shall come in the name of Jesus Christ and deceive. So the spirit of Antichrist is purely a spirit of deception. Now, look at the key word here when I'm saying they're deceitful policies. What's the key word that speaks about a deceitful policy? He shall cause, verse 25, what does it say? He shall cause what? Craft. Now, he's not talking about arts and crafts here, you know. Craft means a fraud, a fake, a deception. This first, the first time this word craft is, is in the Bible, guess who it's about? Jacob, the deceiver, dressed up to be like Esau, to trick his father. So the craft of Jacob, sometimes godly people can get wrapped up into a lust for power and a striving for things and become crafty and like fraudulent like the world. So the word craft there speaks of being fake and subtle, a fraud, proud. He's magnifying himself in his heart and he comes promising peace, a false peace. How unlike our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He gives true peace. His peace is without guile or craft. This very same word, I want you to see this. It's beautiful. 
The word craft is found in Isaiah 53, verse 9. Can you turn there with me, please? Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9. That word craft is found there relating to Jesus Christ. And verse 9 of Isaiah 53 says, He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. There was no craft, no guile in Jesus Christ. Pure Loving truth, genuine, honest sincerity, Jesus Christ. There was no deceit. A guileless peace was in him. The fifth thing about the spirit of Antichrist is his defiant pride. If you go back to Daniel chapter number 8, his defiant pride, his dark wisdom, his demonic works, his destructive practices, his deceitful policies, his defiance against God. Look at this in verse number 25. It says, by peace he shall destroy many. And by the way, that's how Antiochus came. Remember last week we talked about how first he set up a gym, says, oh, man, Greek culture is great. You're going to love, man. We got great sports. We got great food. Oh, we got really nice. What, what are these clothes you're wearing here in Israel, man? You, we, got, we got like Abercrombie Greek clothes, you know, and a Banana Republic. We have Greek Republic clothes. You're going to love our, our clothes are so much better than yours. So he, he brought him in. Oh, with peace. We're going to have peace. You've been having all these wars between Syria and Egypt. Oh, I, I beat Egypt. No more wars. You're going to have peace now. And, and so they, they bought into Greek culture, and then he gave them their immorality and their idolatry. And, when, and then when those who didn't receive it, uh, those who stood up for God, like the Maccabees, said, no, we're not going to buy into this idolatrous and moral culture, guess what? He came with war. Huh. I feel like we're heading in these ways. With a divine pride, he magnified himself in his heart, and he stands up, it says in this verse, he shall stand up, and he's the Antichrist. He stands up against, he's the Antichrist, against the Prince of Princes. The defiant pride. He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God and is worshipped. And he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He's the Antichrist. You worship me instead of Jesus Christ. Revelation 19, when Jesus Christ is coming back on his white horse and the angels, I mean, the, the army in heaven is following him on white horses. Guess who that is? Who's the army on white horses coming back with Jesus? That's you, sister. You're going to have a white horse in heaven. We're going to be coming back. The church is going to be coming back with Jesus. And the sword is going to go out of his mouth. But the Antichrist will still be gathered. He will gather the kings of the earth. And they will be gathered together to make war. What does it say? Against him that sat on the horse. He's the Antichrist, the defiant pride, standing up against God. We're not supposed to stand up against God. We're supposed to stand before him and repent. We're supposed to be before God and fall down and worship. We're supposed to get before him and love him and worship him. The Antichrist spirit gets before God and stands up against him. It says, 
I, how can you believe this book? You know, some people are really angry about the Bible. Do you know that? They're angry what the Bible says about creation. They're angry what the Bible says about two sexes. They're angry what the Bible says about marriage. They're angry what the Bible says about hell. They're angry what the Bible says about salvation in one person. People are angry, and they're against. Many people are standing up against the Bible. But I say, believe the Bible. It's the Word of God. It was here before you were here. It'll be here when you're gone. It's forever settled in heaven. We need to believe the Bible. There's a defiant pride in this world against God. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. But we need the glorious obedience that even Jesus himself had. One of my favorite verses about Jesus is in John chapter 8, verse 29, where Jesus said, He that sent me is with me. Amen. That's beautiful, right? And he that sent you here, he's with you too. Jesus said, he that, sent with, with, uh, he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. And then he said, I do always those things that please him. So let me ask a question to our beautiful young people. Thank you for listening so nicely today. Thank you for being here. How often should you do things that please God? Half the time? Sometime? I didn't ask you, brother. I'm asking the children. <laughs> You're a kid at heart, though. No, I know, bro. Okay. How, how, how often should you obey Jesus? All the time, right? You know, that's being like Jesus. Because he says, I do always those things that please him. And when we obey Jesus, when we obey God, we're pleasing God. So Jesus said, I do always oh, our Jesus Thank God for his glorious obedience, his perfect righteousness. But the last thing I want us to see is their doomed end. Their doomed end. And this is quite striking to me. Look at the end of verse 25. If I lost your attention out there, wake up. (laughs) This is good. Look what it says. It says, He, that is the Antiochus and ultimately the Antichrist, shall be broken. And then what does it say? Without a hand. Now think of this. Here's the point. These people were devious, demonic. They were wicked, destructive. And yet man embraced them and put no hand against them. They were not broken by man's hand. They were embraced by men. And... Antiochus, by the way, you can find out about his death in the book of First Maccabees, chapter 6, which it's online. And it's good history. It's not the Bible, but it's good history. The Bi- and, and Maccabees says that he died of grief and remorse in Persia upon hearing that the Jews tore down his abominations in the temple. So he just died when he found out his plans had been destroyed. And the Jewish people through the Maccabees overcame them. He was so distressed and distraught. He died, but no hand was against him. The Antichrist, no, no man beat the Antichrist, but Jesus Christ with the sword out of the mouth slays him and casts him alive into the lake of fire. I hope you don't get bad dreams looking at that picture, but that's the Antichrist and the false prophet being cast alive into the lake of fire where they still are burning, suffering, in conscious pain and punishment. 
They were broken without human hand, but God broke them. But then I thought of Jesus, the Christ. Look at that phrase, he shall be broken without hand. What do you think about Jesus relating to that? Compare that to Jesus. Here's this perfect, holy son of God. Godly wisdom in its perfection. Great power like nobody has ever demonstrated. Gracious healing, encouraging, building up others. Guileless, without any deceit in his spirit. He was a man of peace, glorious in his obedience. And yet man got a hold of him. They broke him. Man broke the Son of God. He was before the Sanhedrin, and they beat him. He went before Pilate, and they put the cat of nine tails upon his back, shredding his back. They nailed him in the cross. And we take the communion, and one of the things we say is that his body was broken. So when I saw those phrases... When I saw that phrase, he was broken without hand, I thought of all the hands that came upon our Savior and did break him. But God raised him from the dead. And in a paradox kind of a way, if we could go to John chapter 10, what the amazing thing is, too, is that though man did break him, They couldn't go beyond what was God's will for Christ to suffer. But Jesus died on his terms and not their terms. And, you know, have you ever been around somebody dying? Sometimes they're in a coma and they can't even speak and they die in a comatose type of a condition. Sometimes they just grow so weak they can't even speak. Sometimes they're in so much pain that they're, they're not focused at all. In any, they're just in like, they're just bodies being racked with pain of some kind, you know. But when Jesus died on the cross, the last breath he took, he, with a loud cry, cried what? You know what he cried. He cried, it is finished, with a loud cry. And then he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He was perfect, conscious, and even in the midst of all that pain, He cried out like that. And that shows the truth of this passage in John chapter 10. If you could read with me in verse 17 and 18 of John chapter 10. He says, therefore doth my father love me. Because I lay down my life. That I might take it again. No man taketh it from me. But I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down. And I have power. To take it again. This is the spirit of Jesus Christ. Follow him. And don't get swept up into the spirit of the Antichrist of this world. Let's stand together as we pray. Amen. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for his godly wisdom. And pray that God would give you his wisdom today. Thank God for Jesus who gave himself to be broken for our sins, the sins of the world. He laid down his life on his terms. He laid down his life for me, for you, for the sins of the world. Thank God for the
power of Jesus Christ. And he shares his power with us in the Holy Spirit. And even pray, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit of God. And protect me from being deceived by the wicked spirit of Antichrist that is in our world and flooding our culture, our institutions, churches going apostate, schools, the political system. Everywhere, the spirit of Antichrist. Lord, deliver us, protect us. Thank you, Lord, for your gracious healing. Lord, thank you that you deliver the broken, the bound, the blind, the bruised. Thank you, Lord, for your peace. And you said, my peace I leave with you, I give. Thank you, you give your peace. So claim the peace of Jesus. What are you going through today? And maybe you feel stressed out and worried and anxious. Maybe you're trying to figure out how to move. Maybe you need to buy something and you don't know where all the money's coming from. And, and you're praying about a new job or you're praying about getting a new apartment or you're just going through a situation right now and you need peace. Say, Lord, fill me with your peace and help me through it to be obedient to you, not to take matters into my own hands, but to trust you. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins. Thank you. You rose again. And thank you. You're coming again to be king of kings forever. Thank you, Lord. We're a part of your kingdom. May your kingdom come. Let's pray together the Lord's prayer. Our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and deliver us from temptation. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Thank you, Lord, for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.